Good morning. This morning's going to be a little different than what we normally do. Isn't it nice that there's some normal things after, after just four weeks of meeting, stuff starting to kind of come into its own? Uh, usually during this part of the service, we'd have our, our screen come down the center. Our windows would get covered up with those big, huge foam things that are kind of scary to all of us. And uh, we'd hear a sermon from Brian or one of our teaching team in Lexington. But today, it's a little different. I'm going to talk... We're going to have a little, bit of, a little bit of time for us here in Watertown, a little bit of family time. Uh, this will also be my first Sunday morning preaching at Grace Chapel. And uh, so, so thank you for being gracious to a, to a newbie like me and uh, putting up with anything that might go wrong. Who knows? Well, the holidays are upon us once again. And as our video reminded us, they're a mixed bag. I love most things about the holidays. Time with family, downtime to read books and watch movies. I love the movie, the music and the food and the parties with friends. I love the Christmas hymns and the Christmas lights. Malia likes to decorate our house to make it look all nice and holiday and we like to bake some delicious treats for our friends and family. Holidays intensify everything that's wonderful about this life and this world. Family, generosity, beauty, celebration, food, and all of our cultural traditions. But it can also be overwhelming. We have Thanksgiving, and then a bunch of events, and parties, and gifts, and shopping, and concerts, and recitals, and then Christmas, a week filled with family, returning gifts, buying new ones with the money we got from the gifts. We've got New Year's Eve, and then a hangover of one kind or another, and and then the New Year's gift of credit card debt. It's, It's gonna be a busy season. Holidays can be great, and they can be really hard. There is the hope of holiday cheer and goodwill and gifts and time with people that we love, but the reality is a mixed bag, almost always less than we had hoped for. I, I love that video that we just showed. I, <laughs> I probably watched it four times this week between our meetings. I just, I love it. I come from a big family. And just watching those brothers wrestle at Thanksgiving makes me want to be home for, for Thanksgiving, on, on one hand. Um, but the funny thing about being home with family is that there's history. There's lots of it. There's hundreds and thousands of conversations and interactions that sit right below the surface. That time your brother embarrassed you in front of your high school girlfriend. That time mom flipped out over the eggs getting burnt on Christmas morning. The nicknames and the assumptions about who we are who we have become, and our place in the family. All that sits right there on the surface, just kind of waiting to bubble up when we're family. Just like holidays intensify some of the greatest things in life, the holidays also bring to the surface some of the hardest things that are wrong with our lives and the world. Family dysfunction, greed, materialism, the loneliness of holidays apart from loved ones. Why is there such a disparity between what we hope for we hope that holidays would be and the real-life experience of holidays. This morning, we're going to spend some time thinking about this question. How does this life-changing message of Jesus that we talk about week in and week out, how does it change us, and what does that mean for our lives and our families and our communities in light of just the brokenness and the, the missed dreams and hopes that we all have? On some level, we know that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. We feel that things are broken when we see pain and suffering, when we experience death and disease, when we feel like stuff is just too hard. 
Things don't work the way that they should. The world is a broken place, but it hasn't always been that way. Fifty years ago this week, we had um, this, this major historical event, JFK died. On the same day that JFK died, C.S. Lewis died, this, this huge voice in the, in the Christian tradition. And uh, one of his quotes has just stuck with me year in and year out. He says this, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. What he means is not that we were made for some other planet, but that this world as it is, is not yet all that it was meant to be. He means that our desires for this world to be right speak to how the world was intended, as a perfect place with love and delight in nature and God's love being real and present all the time. The world is not how it's supposed to be, and we are not how we're supposed to be. Most of the pain and the suffering in the world is caused by human decisions and human foolishness. Even typhoons and tsunamis often affect most, the poor most dramatically because they're forced to live in vulnerable places and shabby conditions. The pain and hurt we experience in our family is often the fault of the people in our families living out of hurt, shame, and a need to dominate and get their way. The injustices of this world are often, if not always, caused by human greed and corruption. We even see in ourselves some of the evil that makes the world a hard place to live in when we hurt the people around us. We put ourselves first, we lash out in anger from our own pain, or we do devastatingly stupid things that cannot be fixed, that cost ourselves and our families and our communities more than, we, more than we could ever repay. We know that we ourselves need change. But what kind of change do we really need? Are we supposed to become some sort of goody-two-shoes robot or some other person entirely from who we are right now? Are we supposed to become like one of those annoying people that we don't like that goes to one of those funny churches? The answer is no. We're not supposed to change to become someone else entirely, but to become the people that we were meant to become. Person deep in our hearts that we want to be, our best, truest self. We have a picture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we read today about God's plan to make the world right again, and it actually starts with you and I. Let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot going on. We're going to unpack it as we go, but... One of my favorite movies as a kid was this funny movie called Rookie of the Year. For those of you that don't remember the plot of this instant classic, 12-year-old Henry Rowengartner, whose late father was a minor league baseball player, 
grew up dreaming of playing baseball, despite his physical shortcomings. After Henry's arm is broken while clumsily trying to catch a baseball at school, uh, after Henry's arm is broken, the tendon in that arm heals too tightly, allowing Henry to throw pitches that are as fast as 103 miles per hour. Henry is spotted at nearby Wrigley Field by the general manager of the struggling Chicago Cubs. After Henry throws an, an opponent's home run ball all the way from the outfield bleachers to home plate, it seems that Henry may be the pitcher that the Cubs have been praying for. He goes on to become a starting pitcher as a 12-year-old for the Chicago Cubs, who go on to win the pennant, a true fantasy for poor Cubs fans everywhere. I love this movie. These types of kids' fantasy movies are plentiful. You'll see racks and racks of knockoffs and worse versions of Rookie of the Year all over the place. It's a compelling narrative that taps into every child's deepest desires. We all hope that there's something amazing about us that we have yet to discover. The older we get, though, the more things we try and realize that our talents rarely move beyond average or good enough to even get noticed. But this story speaks to so many of us because it is true. There's something really different and good about you that you may have yet to tap into. When you have a relationship with God through through Jesus, you become a part of his family, a part of that new creation. A new part of you is revealed, your best, truest self. When we start following Jesus, our priorities are radically transformed. Instead of asking the question, what can I get out of life? Or how can I get pleasure? Or how can I ease my pain and anxiety? We move to some new, profound questions. Like, why am I here? What can I do for the people around me? And what can I do for the world that nobody else can do? This doesn't happen all at once. It's not a magic pill or an incantation that you say and become something magically new. It is true at our core right away when by faith in God's grace we start to follow Jesus and trust in him for our salvation, something changes about us, about who we are, and we're now a part of God's family. We're no longer outside. God has brought us in by his grace. But our behavior doesn't change completely right away. It's what the theologian N.T. Wright calls now but not yet. We are a new creation right at the time of faith, but it isn't completed until this world is remade into the world that it was made to be. And just like everything, we all grow and change over time. Maybe right at first when we start our relationship with God, there are big things that are right in our face that we want to change right away. If we're going to follow Jesus, we can't be stealing, cheating, oppressing people. We can't be beating people up or taking free cable from our neighbor's box. The big obvious things that are just blaringly incompatible with following Jesus. And then over time, God refines the smaller, more subversive, secret things in our lives. The sin that hurts those that are closest to us. Our selfishness and our pride. Our desire to use others for sexual pleasure. Our exploitation through supporting unjust systems. Little lies we tell ourselves to feel better. Now, but not yet. We are a new creation in our essence, but we're being remade over time. God has made us a new creature, and he's making us into a new creation together. We grow and change over time, 
but it won't be completed until the very end. Like Henry Rowan Gardner, there is something about us that's very good that we have yet to discover. God has given us the power through his Holy Spirit to be loving, caring people, to make the world a little more like his kingdom, his family, full of justice and mercy, kindness and grace, service and self-sacrifice. He's given us gifts and abilities that when used to their fullest, have the potential to do things in the world that would alleviate suffering and disease, overcome economic injustice and oppression, build beautiful, God-honoring cities, towns, schools, and families. I remember as a child, I'd I'd go to my older brother's soccer practice. And uh, they were boring and they were hard to watch because I wasn't a part of them. But I would bring my own little soccer ball with me. And I would play and show off and I would juggle the ball in the air. And I was showing off hoping that my brother's coach for his elite travel team would notice me and invite me to play for a team my age, even though there wasn't even teams my age. I was too young to play. I just hoped that I was the next Pele, and that I just needed a little help and encouragement and opportunity to become the youngest professional baseball soccer player of all time. As you can tell, I did not become a professional soccer player. I have only ever been average at best. But that hope was so real and tangible. I wanted to know as a little eight-year-old boy, is there something good in me? Is there something that I was made for? The answer was and is yes. It wasn't just as trivial as a soccer game might be. I was made for so much more. When we start to discover and live out of our best, truest self, things start to happen. The very nature of the world and reality shifts around us. In Christ, we're new creatures beginning to live the lives that we were made for and dreamed of. But that's not all that's happening. God isn't just doing something new for us. He's doing something new for the whole world through us. When you think about a family, there's a group of people that are living under the same roof. They're all very interconnected. If one person is in a bad mood, pouting or sad, the whole house is affected by that person's emotional reality. When one person behaves particularly badly, everyone feels the pain of their bad decisions. When one person is selfish or demanding or brutish or abusive, there is no escaping that reality when you live under the same roof. The opposite is also true. When one more person that used to live for themselves is now starting to serve others around them, when that person starts to love and care for their families and works to overcome their nasty attitudes and mean words and starts to apologize, and when they do wrong things, they give grace to those that wrong them, the entire place, the entire household is changed. The reality around them is changed by them being changed. All of a sudden, there's a sharp contrast to what was there before and what's there now. The very reality of that place that person lives is is transformed. Everywhere they go, people start to experience the life that is flowing from their loving presence. We see in our passage today that God is not just making us new creatures, but that it is for a purpose. We're new creatures so that the world will be reconciled to God. We see in verse 18, it says, all of this is from God, our reconciliation, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave all of us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now, the word reconcile is a word that we see every so often in our normal average language, but I love how it's put together. It comes from three Latin phrases that mean together to be with or to have love again. When God made the world, he made the human race, he made us to know him and to be in a loving relationship with him. We ran away. We broke it off. Like stubborn children going our own way away from our our father that loves us and cares for us. God didn't wait for us to move towards him. God came to us. Even though we were the ones that broke it off, God came to us in the form of Jesus and showed us his love through the life of Jesus, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those of us who have yet to start following Jesus, for those of us who have started following Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. We have love for him again, just like he's always loved us and waited for us to turn back to him. And now, here's the thing, we are the reconcilers. We have the ministry of reconciliation. God is using his family, the church, to woo the world back to his loving embrace. We're the chocolate and the flowers. We're God's advanced team as if God were making his appeal to the world through us. What a scary thought. God is using my funny-looking face to be people's introduction to himself. But this was the plan from the beginning. Paul wrote this almost 2,000 years ago to make sure that the gathering of the church in Corinth understood and didn't forget their purpose. The purpose was not just to meet and hang out and talk about God, The church existed to be God's introduction to the world, to be his loving hands, feet, face, and voice. God's family is a place that believes in change, that believes that people can change, that we are not static creatures, and we have the opportunity to become more and different than our present relationships, circumstances, and abilities. Most of us as children saw our personalities as a fixed point. This is our lot in life. I like the things that I like. I want the things that I want. I'll do the things that I want to do. I'm good at certain things and not others. But this is an untrue story that we've all been believing for too long. God tells us something different. There is a new creature in you waiting to be awakened. And if you're in Christ, you'll be transformed immediately and over time. Growing up, I had some dear friends who had an alcoholic father. Their home life was dominated by his drinking and drug use. Their moods and nervousness were directly tied to his use and overuse of the drugs and alcohol. I watched them pray and pray and pray that God would help their dad stop drinking and using drugs. And one day, in despair, because he was on the brink of losing his family, he chose sobriety. He came to church, went to rehab, went to meetings, and over time started a relationship with Jesus. It was fun to watch their family make sense of their new dad because it was a restoration of the way things that were made to be. It was a restoration of the hopes that they had to be a whole family. It was still hard, and his kids have had to work through the pain and anxiety and insecurity that comes from growing up with an alcoholic parent, 
but the reality of their family has changed forever. That dad is a new person. He loves his kids and chooses them over alcohol and drugs. Their family even became a home where other families found refuge, where women struggling could find solace in a wife who knew their pain and their place in life. You see, what happens is when individuals are transformed, places change, families change, communities change. When we become that new creation that Paul tells us about in 2 Corinthians, not only do our lives change, not only do our families change and are restored, but when we follow Jesus, our extended network of friends and family and acquaintances see a glimpse into God's family. Our community is impacted by individuals that are changed, who become their best, truest selves. This is our hope here at Grace Chapel Watertown. This is why we exist and meet every Sunday. We believe that the surprising message of grace we find in the Bible transforms lives. We believe that when individual lives are transformed, families find the grace and hope to heal and become loving places in our communities. When families are transformed and individuals are living out of their relationship with Christ, whole communities experience the goodness that comes from God. When we love and care for our family, our friends, and our neighbors, we are being Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So why Watertown? You've all heard the story about how this building was a gift to the Community Church of Watertown to start Grace Chapel's Watertown campus. I believe that God directed the CCW folks to do this because God cares about the people that live close by many, many of whom have not heard about the hope for real change that we find in Jesus. Our vision is that some of the 10,000 people that live within a mile or so of the church would be able to walk to church and come and hear about the hope that we have in Christ. That each of us here would continue to grow in following Jesus and that the love and care and hope we have would transform our families, our communities, and even our whole city. The vision God gives us in the book of Revelation is that in the end, his kingdom will come down from heaven to earth, and it will look like an expansive city as far as you can see, and that his love and justice will reign completely. Remember that now but not yet understanding of God's kingdom from N.T. Wright? Not only are we a new creature that's becoming a new creation, but God's kingdom is now. It exists in those that follow him and bring with them the goodness of God's love, grace, and peace. But in the end, it will not just be, but it will be complete. The great city will enjoy the comprehensive flourishing of God's kingdom, a total and complete peace and prosperity that comes from being in perfect harmony with God and creation. I hope that in the years to come, we can tell stories of lives changed here because Grace Chapel Watertown is in this place. Stories of poverty in our city being reduced. Families finding healing in the loving message of Jesus and his message of reconciliation. That our schools and our social services would be brimming with resources and people who care about our kids. That lives wrecked by addiction would be restored and healed. That families would care for one another and neighbors loving and serving the most vulnerable around us. That those kids who don't have families would find loving homes. And that the widows among us 
would be cared for by the church and by our community. That there would be stories of many people hearing and responding to the hope that we have found in the message of grace in Christ's death and resurrection in our place. We'd like for you to be a part of that. If you've been a part of the Grace Chapel family for a while, this congregation is a place for you to invite your neighbors, family, and coworkers closer to where they live. This is a place to serve and let your community experience a little slice of God's kingdom. To care for our community by taking care of each other's kids on Sunday mornings so that we can worship together. By being a part of a life community that grows closer to Christ and serves in the place that it is. If you're new to Grace Chapel Watertown, we hope you'll jump into the life around here and become part of the family. Bring your unique self. Discover what it means to follow Jesus and find ways to serve and grow. And as we head into the holiday season, it's a great time to be inviting someone to come with you because they're all feeling the same things you are and that guy in the video is about the holiday season. My wife Malia and I never expected to be leading a congregation here in Watertown. But God has a way of finding us and taking us to where he wants us to be. We are so excited about what's happening here. In April, we'll be having our first child, a little baby girl. And the reason, the reason I'm excited <laughs> is that this place is a place where we want to build a family a village of relationships that will be a little slice of that new creation. So that as we usher a child into this world, they have a family that loves and cares for them and shows them the way of the, the flourishing of God's kingdom. We're excited about the story that God is writing here, and I hope that you'll be a part of it as we move forward. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this little bit of family time to talk about your kingdom and its place here in Watertown. Thank you for those of us who have been reconciled to you by stepping in through faith into our relationship with Jesus. Thank you that you came to us and made a way. Pray that you'd help us know what that looks like to love and care for the people around us, that we'd grow in our relationship with you and that that'd show up in our families, in our friendships, in our communities. Lord God, I pray for those here who are searching and trying to figure out what this whole thing's about. I pray that you'd meet them where they are, show them a way forward, help them to see what it means to be reconciled to you, and that they'd experience a little piece of the blessing and flourishing that comes in your kingdom through the relationships here and through the opportunities you give them to serve and love those around them. God, we love you, and we thank you for this day. In your name we pray, amen.